Yeah, and like, and what meaning are you placing on that like one weight that you're trying to get at? Like, is that going to be when you're super not stressed and you feel more healthy and good? Like, it, it's not the weight that you're wanting really. It's just like the way that you're going to feel when you get there, supposedly. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a really good. That's point. That's called magical thinking in therapy. <laughs> Welcome to the Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by April Cunningham, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, health and life coach, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. Ruthie Flynn, medical anthropology student specializing in eating disorders. So glad to have you with us. And today we have a special guest, a medical anthropology graduate student from George Washington University, Miss Ruthie Flynn. Welcome, Ruthie. Thank yeah. you so much Hi. for having me. So when we here. first met and started talking, I thought, what is medical anthropology? I think of anthropology, I think of like the TV show Bones. Right. And I'm like, are you going to be Dr. Brennan? Yeah, very, <laughs> very common question. But um, yeah, so anthropology has four subcategories. And before I even go into that, which I'll go through briefly. Um, so essentially, it's one of the social sciences that it's like similar to psychology, but instead of studying the mind or like mental behavior, it's kind of a catch-all for like studying culture, studying human behavior uh, as a group, maybe like pre-nation state. Like that's kind of what we're looking at. So when people think of anthropology, usually they think of archaeology, which is a subcategory. Um, and that's totally cool. I did archaeology for two years in undergrad and then decided to pivot um, to- dumb now. No, 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 don't worry. This is all <laughs> stuff that's like four people know about. So don't worry about it. But yeah, um, so medical anthropology, what I do is basically I'm studying- um, the culture of diet and eating disorders and how eating disorders are going to be treated in the future and sort of different treatment options. Um, and since I have a, I have a history with veganism that is going to hopefully come apart in my research. But so that's my little, that's my nuanced, like little research project that's going to happen in grad school, hopefully. So that's interesting. So how would looking back frame how we treat people in the future? Great question. Wow. Now you're thinking like an anthropologist. <laughs> that would be, yeah. So that's a great kind of like intention to set your research on. So how I think of, especially having to do with things like mental health and eating disorders, if I'm looking at this from an anthropological perspective, um, the way that uh, people develop these maybe negative behaviors or harmful behaviors has a lot to do with like the systemic reasons for those negative behaviors developing in your head. So sometimes that is a cultural problem and mm. sometimes it's not just purely psychological or like parent to child relationship. Um, I think that there's more going on and especially with food, which is such like an integral part of our relationship to the world, like how we move and react in the world, as we'll see with like our conversation about veganism, uh, that just has so much to do with culture, like food and culture are like go along together. So I, I want to explore more of that. Not just culture too, right? Identity. For sure. The, the yeah. cultural inform the, the cultural way that our identity is produced mm -hmm. 
as well as how we choose to eat food. For sure. Influenced by our culture. Yeah. That's really interesting. I am, uh, I'm black. I'm not sure if you noticed. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> what? Yeah. I wasn't sure. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but I think about a lot in terms of culture related to like fried chicken and mac and cheese. And we've talked a lot about how our family and our friends and, and the culture associated with probably, I would say more our ethnicity or race in this country, um, really impacts the way that we view food and what we think of as traditional comfort foods mm -hmm. versus someone who maybe is Italian. And like to them, a big Sunday dinner with homemade meatballs and lasagna and, you know, what yeah. we would kind of think as heavier foods is part of their culture. Um, do you feel like those things are really tied to like where you live or what you look like or like how do those things kind of factor into what you're discovering? Yeah, definitely. Um, I like what you said about how, and both of you said identity is a key component and, and, um, the way that we sort of have a framework for how we live has to do with those relationships, the relationship to our race, our, our, uh, surrounding family and community, which might be of the same race or background. Like all of those things play a part in ultimately our food choices and then our life in the future. And obviously like, it's, in some ways that can be really helpful and lovely. And, you know, everyone kind of loves having Thanksgiving with their family, or if you're from a different culture than that, like holidays, like those are all, I think those are all positive aspects of that. But um, when things turn ugly or when things get a little bit more complicated, when you want to breach those identities and maybe form a new one, like choosing veganism or vegetarianism, um, it can be really, it can be a stressful and very confusing thing for other people. Like I'm sure you guys probably had to deal with that in some way. I know I did with my family. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to think about like how much your life changes when you put a little bit more thought into like that one thing, just food. Yeah. yeah. I'm always curious why people feel like they have the right mm -hmm. to weigh in on how I eat. And it's only when you say something like, I don't eat something that's popular, right? Like, like I don't eat sweets, right? But when I say that to people, they're like, what? Huh. Like, yeah. like how, do, how do you not like chocolate and don't you eat cake? And I'm like, no. I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm healthy, clearly, but it does, it's just like, that's just not, this is not something I like. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with when you choose not to eat meat, they're like, oh, you, you, don't, you don't eat bacon? Yeah, right. It's it's interesting because it's that piece of like, I'm making a choice, but a part of the culture, part of the social fabric, right, is that we were part of a tribe. For sure. And I'm hearing that in what you what you study really yeah. is that it's, it's it's how we identify too and it's a part of our tribe and yeah. food of course because everybody has to eat yep. um if you're a human being food is one of those things that's very integral to how we identify as a part of our tribe and belong mm -hmm. yeah yeah and there's like there's kind of this there's also like a loaded identity of being up someone who doesn't eat meat right like and, and now we kind of live in a in a society where veganism and vegetarianism has a pretty kind of set stereotype and it's hard to sometimes offer up your own identity that might not be that, but you're cho still choosing to maybe like make other choices. And, and, um, I, I find that to be more complicated now. Like if I say I'm vegan or if I lean toward veganism, sometimes people will immediately assume like, oh, well, 
you know, I read this article that it's actually this way. And it's just like, well, I wasn't interested in a political debate, but like, okay. But yeah, um, yeah, just those, it can be kind of oddly threatening in some way, but also like intriguing to other people. It's Yeah, I think we had an episode uh, where we talked about that a little bit where it's like you make a decision to eat differently or do something different and suddenly people feel like, how could you do this to us? Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> right. wait, what? Like, right. You can still eat chicken. You can still eat whatever you want. But people have this real reaction like, wait a second. Like, does this mean all of us are doing something different? And it's it's not the case. But I think to speak to April's point about feeling like a tribe and a community, it's, you know, you're wondering, well, if I'm for the person who's maybe changing their diet, right? It's that feeling of, well, I'm, am I going to be an outsider? Like, you know, and for the other people on the other side, it's like, well, does that mean that we can't hang out anymore? Mm-hmm. We can't do anything. And so it, there's more than just the food component, right? It's, totally. there's a, there's a belonging there and there's a, a, a social component that people, mm-hmm. that it really freaks people out when you're like doing something different with your diet. Yeah. Yeah. It is strange. I am. Um, we've we've equated it with changing your religion. Yeah, because people are very, <laughs> <I like that. laughs> you know, like 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 Lisa said. How could you do this to us? Like yeah, like you're you're going against what we know is the accepted um, path and method of of living. Mm-hmm. But I was watching this clip on YouTube the other day of uh, Ben Stiller. He was getting interviewed on Conan, which I don't know how old it is because I'm not even sure that Conan is still a show. But whatever. <laughs> anyway, so. So he said, so, so he was, so Conan was complimenting Ben Stiller on his physique and the fact that at his age, his advanced age, he's doing really well. Um, Cause he like does his own stunts in this movie they were talking about. Mm. And so he said, so, you know, like, do you train really hard? And he's trying to give him his kind of rundown. He's like, but really I changed my, my diet. I made some dietary changes mm. and he's like, oh, that's right. So you're like a vegan. Right. And he said, I really don't like to announce myself that way. And he said, it's kind of like I had to like go tell my parents and, you know, they were really disappointed. They didn't know right. what to think. And he's making a joke of it, but it's probably very true that it's kind of like, like coming out of the closet or changing your religion or doing something like really drastic or dramatic in most people's minds when it's just like, no, I'm just going to eat some different food. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of crazy. I'm That's- curious what got you interested, Ruthie, into this place of, mm-hmm. um, medical anthropology. Sure. So, um, so I kind of had a, an inkling toward, I always, I was really interested in studying the body and what the body meant. And that's kind of what got me into archaeology for a little bit, just because I was interested in seeing like bodies in the past and being able to identify bones and, and whatnot. Um, and for the most part, um, and also due to kind of my so, and, and we'll get through this, but so I had a past in eating disorders and I kind of set myself up for never studying that or like, I didn't want to become a therapist. I knew when I recovered that I would, I just wanted to kind of like leave it behind me and not return to that. Um, and then I kind of just decided toward the end of undergrad, you know what, this is something I'm passionate about. I have the background in social science to make this like a viable research option for the rest of my life. And if I go on to be a professor, like I could use that, um, as well. And I, I kind of just went for it and, um, and I don't feel, uh, I didn't, I didn't feel attached to it in the same way I did maybe like after high school. So that's kind of where I was at. And then I've been vegan for like almost four and a half, five years. Um, and that was always kind of a huge part of my identity, which it still is. 
Um, and I kind of just decided to ride with it. <laughs> it's so, fascinating. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, it, so first we're going to make sure that we connect people with you on social media. Yeah. And they'll sure. see a lot of yoga poses yes. on your Instagram. Yes. Um, but they'll also notice that you're relatively svelte, I guess is a good description. <laughs> yeah. Is it, I'm looking. That word is so fun. Is it yeah. Loaded? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, oh, no, it's not loaded. It's like, I've never heard someone describe me like that. That's very nice. Anyway, I mean, it's not nice. It's just a word, but. <laughs> no, 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 it's nice. It's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. It is a compliment. It is. We yeah. love all bodies here. Oh, yes. that's yeah, a nice yeah. way to say it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I think when people look at you, they'll say, eating disorder like she seems so normal as I would probably say or yeah. she seems fine and yeah so how would you describe or can you give us a little background on on this eating disorder you sure sure so um absolutely what you said about kind of the there's always sort of a precursor of let's let's judge the body before we it, like experiment with talking about what the mental side of it was and that's unfortunately just kind of the way that we as a society look at eating disorders as we're kind of more body conscious than like maybe the disorder lends itself to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, so certainly I, I would say throughout all of my eating disorder, I kind of remained the same size. Um, and I don't find it to be like that much more relevant to, to like the way that it manifested in my life, but, um, more toward, so in going back to veganism, uh, toward the end of my eating disorder is when I became vegan. So I was sort of still growing in my recovery. I had a lot of things that I hadn't, I didn't want to let go of the eating disorder quite yet. And, um, certainly veganism was concerning to people around me because it is a restrictive diet. Like, I think we can all agree that it's restrictive for, for the standard American or the standard Western person. And, um, so that was kind of like the last piece where I decided like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim my own agency around my diet and it's going to be an ethical choice and it's not going to be about losing weight. Um, and it actually proved to be like a positive thing for my recovery. That being said, and this is kind of an unpopular opinion, but, and hopefully I'll like get to do work on this later. I do think that there is too much of a crossover between, especially young women who decide to pursue veganism as a way to diet only basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's a lot of people who have a history of disordered eating that maybe they haven't confronted yet. And then they decide to pursue veganism, like on that premise of like, well, maybe this will cure me of my disordered eating. Like a diet is going to help me not get like, get out of the diet mentality. It doesn't work because it's still, you're still looking at it as a diet. Um, and I think that's really harmful for veganism. And I think it's harmful for people who want to develop a healthy mentality around food. Um, because like, honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest, like when I was 17 and I saw like thin vegans online, I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. I want to be thin. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's just, it's way too, it's too, it's, it's not sustainable like that. Right. Well, right. I think what, what resonates with what, with me, with what you said is mm. there's this body image component to veganism. And if you scroll through social media, you'll see uh, people, uh, they look very similarly, skinny, young, typically white um, mm -hmm. woman who, or fair skinned woman, right? Um, and there's this image of like, if you're vegan, you're skinny. First of all, being skinny doesn't mean you're healthy. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That's the first. Yeah. Break your brain moment. Mm-hmm. Second, um, being not skinny doesn't mean you're not healthy. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Um, and then this this link between body image and veganism, and it, it's it's a false assumption that mm-hmm. we make. There are people who are vegans who are not skinny, and in fact, they eat a lot of salt, and because they're eating processed a lot of food. processed foods. Like sure. so, it's the sense of we make these associations. That are really, I feel culturally, World According to April, I feel like culturally they are the things that we make because we we see on the media, right? And scrolling Instagram mm-hmm. is what we see. Um, and it's, I love that you call that out, that there's this yeah. link. Um, but, and also that veganism doesn't work for everybody. Everybody needs to, and I do mean certainly body, right? The biological mm-hmm. piece of, of our identity and how we show up in the world. It, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's uh, really true that uh, what both of you guys were saying that people have approached veganism as a diet or as a quick fix. And that's like, I think one of my biggest pet peeves about it is people are like, it's going to be the cure all to like whatever. Right. It's like panacea. Yeah. yeah, It's like go vegan and do yoga and you're going to be like the perfect, you know, girl on Instagram and and. Uh, I would I would think that people who also practice yoga as like a real practice probably get just as frustrated as like a vegan of like that's not what it's for people <laughs> like, yeah. that's not what it's yep. for um, and so it does paint this picture that um, like you were saying it might not be for your biology maybe veganism but I think that's why we try we don't call ourselves vegans well we're not um, <laughs> we're not vegans. But we're plant basers, meaning that primarily that's what we eat because there's that's where the benefit is. That's where the balance is. So sometimes I think veganism can be a little unbalanced, um, especially if people are looking for a particular body image or they're looking to get some sort of quick fix result out of it. That's where it gets a little skewed. And I think that's can lead to people having body issues because especially what if you go vegan and then you don't get the desired yeah, result exactly. and like, how does that, you know, exactly. play out for, yeah. you know, you moving forward in the future. So yeah. it's demoralizing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just got real personal. Um, there, there's the body so shaming image. Yeah. The body yes. shaming component of it too. Yeah. Right. Like, Um, I was recently coaching a young woman and she's like, I just need to get to the gym, the gym. I just don't know why I can't get to the gym, the gym, the gym. So in her mind, it was like, if I go to the gym, I'm going to get down to whatever size I want to be. But when we talked, okay, but your job is super stressful and you're dealing with a health issue with your mom and these different things. Mm -hmm. These, it's not the gym. Right. It's all the other stuff that's happening in your life. Yeah. That is blocking you from being able to to make a, a real habit change here. Right. You, you intellectually, you recognize it, but emotionally it's not connecting because right. you got a lot mm-hmm. of stuff happening and legit stuff like yeah. health issue. Mom is not well. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. And like, and what meaning are you placing on that? Like one weight that you're trying to get at? Like, is that going to be when you're super not stressed and you feel more healthy and good? Like, it, it's not the weight that you're wanting, really. It's just like the way that you're going to feel when you get there, supposedly. And yes. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a really good that's point. That's called magical thinking in therapy. <laughs> and, yeah. it's It can be bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I don't know <laughs> okay. if I agree with that completely because okay. um, I think that there are 
<laughs> as the only overweight person in the room, let me just say, there are things that that weight causes that um, exacerbate whatever else you're experiencing, right? So if you're overweight and you have to get on an airplane, you might be stressed about whether or not you're gonna fit comfortably in the seat and who's gonna sit next to me and am I gonna impact their comfort in the ride and how are people gonna look at me? And if you have to go to a work event, you're thinking, do I have something that I can wear? Or, oh, am I gonna look okay in these golf shorts or whatever, right? And and Or you might be thinking like just, I have to go find some a new outfit and will they have something that I can that can fit me? Mm-hmm. And so I think that yes, there are other reasons why people maybe are, overweight that aren't connected to what they eat or how often they move their bodies. But I will say that like there's literally a weight on your shoulders from Mm. being overweight and that it does play into like, can I go to this event and feel okay? And what am I going to wear? And how's that kind of person going to feel about me? And does he really like me? And just spiral out of control with all of these thoughts. Um, that maybe magical thinking is a part of it. Like, yeah. if only I were smaller, I could X, Y, and Z. But mm-hmm. I think some of it could potentially be legitimate too. No, I, and I don't disagree with that. I do think that there's legitimate um, potential health risks, right, with being overweight. Absolutely. I mean, that's documented. That's not even right. But <laughs> but there is the. They didn't I- even have to do a study. They just know this. <laughs> Because it, it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And there's certain more pressure on your heart and your bones and all of that. Absolutely. I will say, though, and as a coach, this is true that women all and as a woman, women always have a number in our head, though. Like, I want to yeah. be this number. And it's the number we sometimes yeah. fixate on is we're looking on the scale every day. And we're just like, am I not, Am I there? Did I eat enough? Did I did I did, did I, I too much? deprive myself right. enough mm-hmm. to get to that number? Oh, I had wine and I'm bloated or I've got my cycle mm-hmm. and I'm bloated and the number it's the number we're fo- focused on and I that's the part that that I, f- I feel we need to disconnect from exactly mm-hmm. and I do I, it took me a long time to understand that that is a choice like it still is a choice every day to feel like oh man I just didn't measure up again today oh I'm such mm-hmm. a sorry you know like it, and it, it you know it's a hard balance because not blaming, but I guess you can scapegoat a lot onto society. And it's true because society is at fault. For example, all of those social concerns that you just mentioned that, you know, unfortunately, none of us have had to deal with, like, those are all real and that sucks. But like, at the same time, like every woman doesn't have to feel like they should be embarrassed of their body every morning. And we do. And like, we don't need to, we can choose not to. It's hard. It's a lot of unlearning, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's a choice. I agree yeah. with that. I mean, I, I do think that there, one thing I love um, and that I think we're speaking to is um, health is shouldn't be measured by our weight. It should be measured by the energy we have, mm-hmm. right? And we don't consider that energy, uh, that energy that we feel, we don't really consider that in health. We have this body image. We have this number on the scale. We have, you know, veganism is going to get us there, but it's not really the metric. The metric we should be driving toward is how do I feel? Can I chase my kids around? Do mm-hmm. Can I climb a flight of stairs? How do I feel when I get up? How do I feel when I go to bed? How do I feel when I eat? Um, those are the things that's really the picture of, of health. And I, I love um, what you said about, I forgot just that quick. <laughs> <laughs> It was great, though. It was great. It was brilliant. The choice part. (laughs) That really, I do do like that idea is that it's a choice, right? And so, like, I have a a girlfriend who 
I love her because like she has this resilience that I just like I want to tap into. Yeah, isn't that and, great? <laughs> no, yeah. like, and so like sometimes we'll travel together and she'll say, we're going to have a good trip. And it's almost like like if you just speak it into existence, it will be. Yeah. It but it's kind of like true. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? She's like, well, we just decided. And so that's how it's going to go. And right. I'm like, and it did kind of go that way. Um, yeah. But we don't I think sometimes because of either societal pressure or, you know, scrolling through your feed, you don't feel like that there's a choice. You mm-hmm. feel like I don't meet the standard. And so I can't choose to to feel that way or to right. live that way or to um, be happy the way that these people seem to be happy. Yeah. How much do you think social media is impacting? I don't hear much about um, eating disorders or body dysmorphia or any of that, but I'd imagine that it's got to be greater now because of social media. Yeah. I mean, I would say certainly it's greater now. And especially with a kind of, I'm going to throw out a word that is a little bit loaded, but in the eating disorder recovery world, world, excuse me, there's kind of, there's like a movement away from healthism, which is do you guys kind of familiar with that? I mean, it sounds exactly what it, it, okay. Okay. It's basically, it's like you're masking your disordered eating with, um, living a healthy lifestyle or perhaps, mm. you know, you're overly focused on making the healthiest choice. And that's kind of taking your independence away from, you know, the rest of your life. Um, and that's, I think that's definitely a thing. That, that is point, interesting. Yeah. Well, to that point, I was talking with a fellow coach um, and he, he's had, he was talking about his health journey mm-hmm. and he mentioned that part of like for him, he did like a, I don't know, I think he said like a, a three week juice cleanse, which Oof. three weeks is <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. I'm on day three of three and I'm not sure yeah, I'm going to make it to midnight. <laughs> right? Three weeks. We all did a juice cleanse in it's April. We, July, it's not for the, the faint of heart. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. three weeks. But he talked about how he, that was his way of, of um, depriving himself. That was his way mm. of kind of, of punishing himself mm-hmm. for not being insert whatever his metric was for what he wanted to be. And so to the point right. that you just said about healthism, I'm thinking, well, that makes sense. People could use that as a form of deprivation or as a form of punishment for whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. I'm not enough. Some I'm not enough. I'm not skinny mm-hmm. enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not, yeah. you know, whatever enough. I'm going to, I'm going to be healthy, though. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Eat some carrots, but you're going to need also some other stuff. <laughs> so what came up for me when you were talking about that is um, people with uh, kind of eating disorders or, or all sorts of things, they always try to mask it in a way where it's not uh, perceivable to other people, right? And so that's what came Bingo. up for, <laughs> for the healthism is, you know— it doesn't look like, oh, yeah, she's eating, like, lots of fruits and vegetables. And, like, yeah, yeah. she's really healthy. But, really, there's a whole other thing that's going on. Um, and it made me think about how we, in the, day of, in the days of Instagram, <laughs> we are really disconnected with people. And we don't see those things as being signs of maybe something greater, something bigger mm-hmm. um, happening. And, and you scroll on Instagram and you look at people who look like, you know, your whole life is together and yeah. you've got it all in order. And yeah, you're doing three week juice cleanse. Good for you. You know, right. without being like, well, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
So that's like immediately what came up is like, oh, all these people hiding in plain sight mm-hmm. of of a bigger problem that's happening. Yeah. Um, uh, and and because it's so easy to curate yourself in a way that like is not concerning. And like, I, I mean, I think f- for a long time, I didn't think that there I I wanted to not believe that anyone who chooses veganism, like they're, they've got to be really healthy and great and they're just on the right track. But that just isn't true. Like there are just there are people that unfortunately get attracted to that um, lifestyle. And another thing about sort of like coming out of eating disorder stuff is you're you're already so focused on food that making a change that's so drastic like that doesn't seem as hard. Like that's what I've noticed for because I have a, a couple of friends who are also like really badly, badly struggled with eating disorders in high school and kind of went into veganism. Um, And I saw this pattern in myself and in them where like they already kind of had this crazy secret ritualistic life with food. Um, So like choosing to do something weird with your diet just was kind of second nature already. And like that's kind of a dark way to go about a new diet, you know, or a new type of eating. Um, Diet is a weird word. So but yeah, yeah, it can be really tricky. And if you're not like, also, if anyone is struggling with an eating disorder out there, uh, definitely consult someone, a professional, before you move toward veganism if you're like actually in recovery, because like it's not worth it to play around with your diet if you're not if you're not um in a healthy place. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should have said that like in the beginning. No, no. it's fine. Yeah. What, what came we, up for me was the shame piece of it. We, yeah. We, we talked about this in, in this circle, Brene Brown, and she talks about how shame can only thrive in silence. Mm-hmm. And so to the, to the point of like people looking healthy and curating what they yeah. show, that speaks to shame for me. That, and that, that they, they're hiding really something that's, that's really needing nourishment or needing to be adjusted in themselves. And so that brings up the question for me, like, well, why? What, what kinds of, what what would make a person want to deprive themselves and feel shame about it or something else that it would you know bring this to the surface and that to me just like opens up all kinds of I have lots of questions yeah right <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, Brene Brown mentions um, gremlins die when exposed to the light mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of the issue right is that as long as you can be in hiding and I was thinking about alcoholism because my dad was an alcoholic and. I don't know what people thought because I was a kid, um, but I know that like it was very well known in our household, like certain things don't get talked about outside of the house. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that the vast majority of people who knew our family would have been surprised to know what was happening at home. Um, and I think that that's, you know, we talked about an eating disorder recovery, which is very much the language of an addiction, right, mm-hmm. is that you have a disease and you go into recovery, yeah. right? And hopefully at some point, I mean, I don't know if it's like remission where it's kind of dormant and, and it's not there, but could be activated again. Um, but I think the whole idea of, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this thing and I don't want anybody to know because I'm ashamed of it. If people would just let it come to light, then maybe whatever it was that was creating that unhealthy behavior would be exposed to the point where it would, you know. Dissipate. Yeah. Can you speak to, or do you mind speaking to what shifted you sure. to yeah. recovery? Yeah. Um, and your, the metaphor of your, your, um, alcoholic household was, is so, it is a very easily translatable issue for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're, they're different just in the sense of we were talking about a parent versus a child. Ooh, sorry. 
mic moved. Um, but but yeah, uh, definitely you got to talk about it. <laughs> that's that's a number one. Um, it can be very hard because when you're young and especially a young woman, it's hard to talk about something you're struggling with, especially if it's so rooted in like self hate or self doubt, um, which it always is. Uh, so what, I mean, my recovery kind of wavered and dipped and there were peaks and valleys, but kind of, I would say once I made the decision to, um, stop turning against my body at any time I felt insecure or anxious, that was when I was really like, okay, like I can, I can pursue my life and not have this drag me down anymore. And like, um, yeah, I mean, it was a hard, it's a hard decision to make. And especially kind of when, when your life is about to change, like I was about to go to college, um, and throughout college even, and you're kind of rebuilding yourself or like creating a new version of you, uh, that is the adult you, you kind of have to leave behind those parts of you that are completely controlled by shame. And like the shame can always be there, but it's your choice to say, okay, like I have the shame, but I'm not going to let it completely take away all my decisions. Um, and yeah. And a lot of that is just understanding, like, if I don't have the body that my uh, eating disorder voice wants me to have, then I'm going to have to live without it because my eating disorder voice is completely ruining my life. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that that can kind of translate into a lot of, you know, mental health issues, just like your anxiety voice or your obsessive compulsive voice or just or, you know, anything that you're currently struggling with um, it doesn't have to be you. And you can kind of listen to it gently, but not have to follow it. And did you go to therapy or some kind? Or oh, what, yeah. What was your, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, so I went to um, an eating disorder treatment center my junior year of high school. And that was a really odd experience, actually. Um, I went to a small treatment center and I would say some of the ways of treating patients they were a little bit problematic. Um, and thankfully eating disorder treatment centers are getting some fresh, excuse me, fresh faces in the therapy world and in the psychology world. Um, but in the future, I'm hoping that I can do some cross cultural slash cross treatment center studies about what's working and what isn't working. Cause whatever happened in there actually didn't really work for me, but, um, but yeah, I mean, again, it, at the same time, my recovery was guided by a lot of like personal decisions to uh, let certain behaviors go and adopt different behaviors. Definitely not at a 100% recovered place yet. I don't think, maybe I will never be. It's kind of like alcoholism in that same way. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the way it went for me. And I feel very happy and in a healthy place like at the moment. That's great. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Really Thank good. you for sharing your story a of little course. bit because it will resonate with women who maybe have eating disorders and or men. some other way. And yes. Men. Yeah. Some other way that our mind, what I heard you say was that you made some decisions, right? As a result of recognizing the behaviors that you didn't want and dismissing and replacing those with positive ones that you did want. And that's, that's not an easy shift to make. Right. So I applaud you. Nothing. I especially feel compassion for people with eating disorders because unlike alcoholism where you can completely abstain, right? Or if you're a drug addict, you can just abstain from that substance. You can't not eat. Mm -hmm. So whether your disorder is related to eating too much or not eating enough, it doesn't matter. There's no like, I mean, not that 
you know, being a heroin addict is a quick fix to that. But <laughs> right. certainly if you have a, if you have an eating disorder, you still have to eat to maintain your life. And mm-hmm. so how do you manage this thing where you're also, I, I mean, I just, I don't even understand how people are able to deal with that and, and recover. Yeah. It's challenging. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about veganism earlier is it is your your food choices and the way you behave around food is so integral to the way you live life that once you make a change that's drastic, whether it's developing an eating disorder or becoming vegan, which are two completely separate things. But like, again, once you play around with that relationship with food, it's very hard to go back to a normal place. It takes a long time. And um, unf- I mean, they're kind of one thing is like a, a for sure no is there just there can't be any more dieting there can't be any more restrictive eating um, because it's just a recipe for uh, relapse honestly I don't know anyone in recovery that can still successfully complete a diet or try like a weight loss program and maybe like as a coach like if someone has struggled with that it's like can be a red flag yeah no I, I I'm not a I am not an advocate for diets. Right. And actually recently I was talking to someone, I was co-working, <laughs> totally random thought, but I latched onto it. He said, diet has the word die in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And it's, it's the fact that diets focus on deprivation. It's all about what you can't eat. Well, that's never a recipe for loving our body and having a positive relationship with food. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm such a uh, big, staunch, okay, hater. Yes. Of oh. keto. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> although all diets, really. But I have this really hate relationship with keto is because I feel like you have, you have to start ca- counting your fat now and your yeah. car. Like, I, <laughs> how can you have a healthy relationship when you're trying to? Right. I mean, you might as well just put your food on a scale. But, but, but we're not right. intended to eat like that. We're intended to eat for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Food is supposed to be a pleasurable thing. And if you're stuck on a diet trying to figure out, you make sure you got just enough carbs and just enough fat and just enough. I mean, that creates a stress response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, uh, you know, in terms of diet, I mean, it can never be a good thing when you become fixated on something. And that's what people end up doing when they're on diets, mm-hmm. right? They get fixated on, like you were saying, all the stuff they can't have, all the stuff they can have. How much of this stuff can they have? What time do they eat it? It, it becomes like a mm-hmm. whole thing. And it's it's all they think about all day is, oh, my goodness, I had bread. Oh, was I supposed to have bread? Did I have oh, now I have got half an avocado, not a whole avocado? And make sure I put, you know, and it's a whole thing. And it, like, takes over yeah. everything. And and you, if you do that with anything, it's not going to be a healthy. It's not going to feel good. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel good. And it's not a healthy relationship. I mean, you couldn't right. do that, like, with your boyfriend either, right? It's like, where are you going? Yeah, like, it's yeah, like, well, that's yeah. not going to work. Exactly. You're being nuts. Not long. Yeah, like, you're being nuts. It's so. a controlling behavior. Yeah. You're controlling a, your body, which can't, which can't be controlled. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's interesting because I've recently had a spat. Like, like despite the fact that I was not happy with my body, I was more happy than I am today. Um, so, like, for the past two months really had a series of issues, um, that I think I'm finally like understanding and able to address. But the other day I was super frustrated and I actually made the comment, like, like I'm so angry at my body mm-hmm. as if it was like, not me, that it was some other thing that yeah. lived on its own. And like, I can't, and, and that I've been trying to control and it's saying like, no, what are you doing? Um, 
But I just wonder, like, do other people have those thoughts or do they feel oh, that's yeah. like, interesting. Oh, yeah. like your oh, body yeah. is not you, that it's some other thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's how we're socialized, to mm-hmm. think of our bodies as somehow separate. We think of our, you, I, I grew up where you're supposed to be logical. Be logical. Come on, that's sensible. Be sensible, yes, right? right? But what it created for me was this disconnection from my logic and my emotionality. And in fact... I'm an emotional person first. That's how our brains work. Like mm-hmm. we are emotional first and then logical. So it's this disconnection. I absolutely think that we're we're socialized and we're culturally yeah. um, programmed that way. Just yeah. want to say, if you guys can hear it, we're like in a monsoon right now. Like, yeah, so. for real. <laughs> we're underwater. We are going to be paddling home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what you said was was powerful for sure. And, and it's like, especially when you're, Like, it's such an odd thing to want to control. Like, it's how you present to the world. And at the end end of the day, like, it's the most intimate relationship we're ever going to have is our bodies. Because, Mm -hmm. and food is, like, eating is, yeah, I, I, like, try not to get super heady about this because I get, like, weird and it seems like I'm, like, tripping out. it's okay. We like (laughs) what you're doing. We like it. But it's, like, food is, like, and from my eating disorder experience, like, it's it's very sad to to see people go down this rabbit hole of like now you know what is the act that is literally building your body food right eating eating is building what you are like the vessel of is like marred by this anxiety that you're going to be too much or too little and it, it's just it's so it's such a sad way to exist in space yeah. and yeah I, I if there's anything I can like tell people is that like your body's probably going to be fine. (laughs) Like try to just please it and, uh, you know, be kind to yourself. It's not the end of the world. That extra half an avocado is not going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. So I'm taking this like nutrition course right now. And it was fascinating to me when I first started to take the course, when when you're talking about um, eating and feeling like we want to control what's happening is what was interesting to me was how much I have no idea how food works. Right. Until I started taking this course and then I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, you're talking about down to the cellular level and rejuvenating itself. And so you, you start eating when you're. First of all, when you first start eating, you don't even get to pick it. Somebody else right. is picking what's right. going into your body without necessarily being informed of what is your biology? How is that affecting you? Mm-hmm. I read an article recently about um, some people do really well with having caffeine. Some people don't. Uh, some people, it builds up in their body. Some people burn it right away. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but to go back to what we were saying is like it being a culture, right? I didn't start drinking coffee really until... I got, I was probably four years into being a hairstylist and everybody comes in with their Starbucks every morning. It's like a hairstylist thing. If you scroll Instagram, it's like every hairstylist ever. It's like, got a ponytail and a cup of coffee. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's, the uniform. that's, that's yeah. how we roll. Um, and so just thinking about just that little thing is, you know, just having your coffee every day and maybe, you know, half the people in the salon, this coffee is not working for them. Right. But they don't know mm-hmm. it, but they're doing it because of this culture of, of you know, the people around them, but not actually being aware and informed of how food works in the body. And I feel like sometimes that's why dieting and being over-concerned with our bodies is like, um, we've, we finally hit a, hit a place where 
we're concerned about it, right? Everybody's like really concerned about what they're eating and organic and this and that, but there's still so much we don't know. And now we almost have, um, we're running backwards because yeah. we're like, ah! We've like swung like, to the other side. Yeah, of we've swung to the, and yeah. we still really don't know. That's the yeah. other thing. We're still learning so much, but so fixated on what we think we can control and trying to control all those things. Um, and it's exhausting. And that's <laughs> what, what I, I what you said, something about um, when we're f- when we are in our formative years, thinking too fast and slow down so, so I can talk. Um, it's happening to me too. Don't worry. It's uh, babies, right? They don't. They're not aware of what's going mm-hmm. into their body. Somebody yeah. puts it on their plate. How do they decide what they want or what's good for them? Mm-hmm. Their body says you're going to see that in what the output, mm-hmm. or they're going to spit it out. Mm-hmm. Right. They're just they're just listening to their bodies. Exactly. And sometimes we and our bodies don't lose that ability. No. Nope. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to get this hyper intellectualized way of to eat, am I going to be I want to eat to be skinny mm-hmm. and I want to eat to be this and I want to eat to be, you know, politically correct or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's this highly intellectualized way. But the body already knows what to do. Yeah. It already knows what works for us. If we can t- slow down. And get conscious to, you know what? My body's going to tell me just everything I need to know. I'm going to put this in and test it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, that didn't work. Let's not do that again. And you know what? I don't care what anybody else is eating or not eating. I'm eating from my biology. Cool. Yeah. For sure. Can I go back to what Lisa said about coffee for a second? Um, Two (laughs) two things. One, uh, I used to, I'm in IT, uh, my day job. And I used to support a customer, a very large computer manufacturer. And so I would go on the sales floor and, you know, all the the coaches and the managers would stand around and they would like be in a puddle and they'd all have a cup of coffee. And I always felt left out. And I was like, is this what, like, is this what smoking was 25 years ago? Like if you weren't the one smoking, you'd be like, well, Where's, where's your cigarette? Right. And so I started drinking coffee because I was like, I just want to have something cool yeah. in my hand too. You know, yeah. like yep. belong to the group. And so yeah. look at where smoking got people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as far as like the people who coffee doesn't work for them, quote unquote, work for them. I wonder if it's the coffee, the dairy or the sugar really mm. that's impacting them and preventing them from being at their best. Yeah. The article that I read actually said the caffeine itself. Some people have a kind of caffeine intolerance and their body does not metabolize it properly. And so um, it's this is why some people, they can have a cup of coffee in the morning and they still can't sleep at night because your body's mm-hmm. like not metabolizing mm-hmm. it. But some people, your body can burn right through it and it does what it's supposed to do. But if you don't know that and you're not in tune with that and you're having coffee every day and then you're sleeping two hours a night and then you're a train wreck because you can't sleep at night and then you get up and you have, have more, more coffee, coffee. It, it's can, a cycle. it creates a real imbalance in the body that people I think would not necessarily equate to. It's yeah. the coffee I'm having. Um, versus they're like, oh, it's the sleep or it's this or it's that, or I'm really stressed. But it's like one small thing can make such a big difference. And unfortunately, I think we do get into a place where I didn't drink coffee until I became a hairstylist and then I started doing it. Mm-hmm. And, Peer you know, pressure. but we are, to speak to what Ruthie said in the very beginning of the podcast is um, we are social beings and we want to have that sense of belonging. And I, that's why I think that the anthropology component is so interesting because it's a component that we've left out for so long. Um, at least 
uh, we've left out talking about that social component, but um, we ha- we have the ability to want to just be like everybody yeah. else, yeah. And, and maybe that it, it's belonging. Work. Yeah. yeah, we want to belong, and yeah. I I think that's this what I love about the jealous vegan is be- that we talk about not just the food. It's mm-hmm. not the food exactly. It's mm-hmm. what's happening in our heads, yeah, and in our food. bodies. Mm-hmm. That's the real thing we yeah. should be talking mm-hmm. about. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. I was just going to say quickly, you were talking about the babies earlier, and we really, we got to do another poo episode. But, (laughs) (laughs) we do. Because it comes up in every podcast. (laughs) But I had a friend um, who I got to spend an extended period of time with recently, and she had a newborn baby. And she switched his formula to something that had whey protein in it instead Mm. of, uh, Mm. like, a plant-based protein. Yeah. Um, and I mean, she knew within days, I mean, he was all sorts of, but he was maybe four weeks old Mm -hmm. and he was super gassy and all sorts of things happening with him that, you know, first time mom too, she's super in tune with like, he just burped. He never burps like that. It's five seconds after he What's going on? She's super in tune with Trying not to break it. Yeah. Right. And she's like, look at his face. Like, is he constipated? Like, you know, all of these things. And we grow, grow out of that in a way. Um, yeah. And it's really unfortunate because we stop looking for those signs. And like you said, you put something in and you wait for that biofeedback and then you proceed forward. And we have stopped doing that. And we have been we've gotten into now. I'm going to put this inside and you're going to give me that because exactly. this is what I'm putting in and this is what I want back and it's the body doesn't, doesn't really work, work like that, that way. Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to tell you what works. <laughs> yeah. Like and it's like doubly. Right. Yeah, and then you give me that. Right. Uh it's yeah. like the body doesn't like have any say on your like weird little image that it, it, you want. <laughs> like the body's just like I'm going to do what what's going to happen. Do. So you're going to mm-hmm. have to deal with that. But yeah. yeah. And then there's the added step though of like being to go back to what we started with of being at war with your body Mm -hmm. so if you have this image you're trying to wrangle your body into this thing and your body's like no but you don't understand my biology doesn't support that program Mm -hmm. and then you've got the image issue imagine having so you start coffee i'm a person that caffeine i have a very low tolerance so imagine coffee that's one thing and then i'm adding dairy which is the second thing so now i've got two symptoms happening in my body but i'm not aware of it Mm -hmm. And I think it's one, but it's actually both. And so you've got to peel back the layers to figure mm-hmm. out, okay, drop this from your diet and drop this from your Oh, and keep dropping things until you get to some place that actually uh, huge, like, light bulb moment. You feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's Whoa. the goal. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Because ultimately, like, that's what the little body or whatever kind of shape you're wanting in your head, like, that's what you're, that's what you want. You just want to feel good. You want to feel good in your body. So, I mean, if you just listen to it internally, like. Inside out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're really going for the same thing here. And to be at war with your body, regardless, you're not going to feel good. Exactly. No matter what. Doesn't matter what you eat. Yeah. Can we go back to, in the very beginning, you talked a little bit about um, medical anthropology and how looking back at culture and identity Mm -hmm. um, helps us to understand how, maybe how a certain way of eating or certain um, propensity towards disease uh, was established within a community Mm -hmm. or group. And so not to make this a racial thing that I feel like I've been very focused on black versus white, but I, um, I have a, someone that I know that um, is probably like a size two, four. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, she would go through periods of time where she would try to, to, to diet. And then at some point, like she was under a lot of stress. Her father was very sick and a lot was happening. And she had like trained for a 10 miler and, um, people, she's from the South. And when she went back to North Carolina, people told her, um, like you're, you're too skinny. Mm-hmm. Need some meat on those bones, right? And so then she became like not obsessed, but very conscious of like, am I? Do I look like a quote unquote black girl? Like, do I have the right curves, the right level of curves? Huh. And she's like, I think my butt's too small, which is not a thing I've ever said in my whole life. <laughs> 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 However, just for context, right, right. But, but I also have had experience where I've dated guys who were like legit Africans who were like. <laughs> You would be like the king's wife back home. You'd be one of the queens because like, like to them, like if you were a fuller person, that means you had enough money to eat. Yeah. And so the images that people have of like what health is or what, you know, what having success in life is, is actually tied to your body sometimes in ways that you don't even think about. Um, yeah. I thought that was like crazy fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's culturally contextual. Yeah. Yes. Totally contextual. For sure. Yeah. And in, like... Yeah, so one anecdote I would have to say about that is, like, from uh, researching, like, treatment centers in other countries is a really interesting thing because we're we're seeing now, like, the more uh, access people in, like, for example, Fiji is one of these countries that are, like, eating disorders are just skyrocketing. Like, there's just these young girls are just slowly uh, becoming privy to, like, really, really intense bouts of, like, anorexia and bulimia. Mm. And, like... uh, and it's odd that it's in certain countries at once, but it, we're realizing that it's because they have more um, access to like American television mm-hmm. and, and like, and that's, or the internet <laughs> for God's sakes. Like, but yeah, it's, it's interesting like to see that those ideals translate to other areas of the world just because they're like screwed up ideals. It's not because their, their culture inherently values thinness. It's that another one did. And now we're looking at something else. Like, Yeah. Can we talk about that really quickly? Yeah, I because, know. I, because I just yeah. feel like that's another episode. <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna take April's a slight. I'm gonna take a slight tangent. Yeah. Go for it. But all on the same back. line of the the American influence of beauty, mm-hmm. and maybe it's a Western society influence of beauty. I'm not sure. You might be able to speak better. Yeah. On that. Um. But I look at I look at artwork from um modern art from, you know, the 50s and even the women portrayed. And you look at the Roman sculptures, even from Roman times, right? You go to the Met, you look at these. These women are curvy. Mm-hmm. Plump even, in some cases. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think about it because I'm like, when did it become that the size zero with no curves, the hanger, basically, mm-hmm. um, it was the thing to pursue. Because women have not naturally, throughout, at least from what I can see in my cultural context, women have never been that way. That's never, and, and certainly not all women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this idea that all women, if they're going to be beautiful or sexy or whatever, yeah. they're going to align to a very narrow stereotype. And that has not always been the case. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah. because you were studying anthropology, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, probably women have already have always been, like, subjugated, unfortunately, uh, to their bodies, like, identity. I-, I think that that's the fact that women have always been looked at as a body before, like, a subject has been a thing forever. But 
the body shape has changed and gotten less and less healthy and attainable, like as time goes on. So yeah, I mean, and I do think that it's pretty strictly Western because like there, there are certain trends that just didn't happen in other countries, like waist trainers or like corsets, like those are Western things. And uh, yeah, for <laughs> real. Okay. So, yeah, I know. Audience, you can't see me. I was like, I'm yeah. ready to jump up and oh down. Oh my god, I have so. close women in my life who wear waist trainers. I'm like, yeah, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, I hope, yeah. So I'll say from like thank a fitness you that, no per- comment. Yeah, sorry, what? <laughs> I was gonna say no comment on who that is, but okay. yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, to, we to protect the yeah, 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 we don't yeah, use real yeah, names yeah. here. No real names. But I was just gonna say from the fitness perspective, those things drive me nuts because. You know, people, yeah, the waist trainer, and it's it's not healthy. You're like squeezing your organs in, and but you know what's so funny is I remember, like my grandma when I was younger, she for sure would wear not a waist trainer girdle, so, yeah, a girdle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spanx was a really huge thing, um, and even now I feel like people would rather put on a waist trainer and a pair of jeans than to go exercise or to eat differently, like sometimes. Um, And it, I think it goes back to what we were saying is like diet has become this very outward thing where everybody wants to like look a particular way without actually addressing maybe some of the other things, right? Um, Those waist trainers, they really, and they have all the other things now, like the belt that you put it on before you exercise, it makes you sweat. And they've got this like oil that you can put on, it's supposed to like really make you sweat. And then you get abs in like 16 days. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like a whole thing. Sure. Write it's that a, number down. It's, <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. And then it becomes like an income thing, right? Because like then you're, I don't want to get so into how we're like tying together race and all this stuff, but it's important. But like, yeah, because only you can, you know, people who have the money can get like sculpt and get their abs like cut in yep, a certain right. way. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm never going to have that much money. So I'm never going to look like that. And yeah. it's, it's crazy how quickly body image can just take over uh, people's minds and how, yeah. It yeah. affects their health directly. Yeah. 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 I watched this episode of like Botched, if you guys have ever seen that TV show. But there was a guy on there and he was completely fake. I mean, he had fake pecs put in, fake biceps put in. He had a fake six pack. That's a thing? It's a, and I was like, you're a guy. And it was botched because he's on the show. Well, because he looked crazy. But he he's he like wanted to look like a Ken doll. But it's just, to me, (laughs) I was like, no. And that was like his real thing. He wanted to look like a Ken doll. Um... And what was crazy to me was, you know, what they had him like do a pull up while he was there and he could not complete a single pull up. But he had all of these like muscles. So you would think like he would be really strong. And (laughs) I was just like, this is getting so awkward because what happens like, yeah, if there's an emergency and somebody actually expects you to do something athletic and then uh, (laughs) you can't. (laughs) They're like, I'm falling. But I it that fixation on but those shows always kind of creep me out because people do have like such fixation on their body and like <sighs> there's such a pursuit of perfection. I know. Can we mm-hmm. talk about that? Because I feel like we I mean, okay. I mean uh, Jen is waving me off that we're at time. No, 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 I'm not. I, I something something Lisa said about okay, the episode ahead. of Botch reminds me. <laughs> pursuit of perfection. We'll come back <laughs> like, to it. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, sorry, I just saw what you looked up. 
Okay, so I had never known that this was like a whole thing, but there's like apparently this group of men, they're called incels. Oh my God, help me right now. Sorry. Right, and I know you guys heard about this? They're about. involuntary celibates who say that, you know, because they're not like this picture perfect man, they can't attract women, right? I mean, right. like, I. And I they to look, look to attract women or well, both? Okay, or but it's what? also like, yeah, because women are here so that I can be attracted to them in the, like, yeah, I don't know. It's very rooted in wait, sexism. Uh, so, TBH. wait, so they, oh, they, they're choosing not to have sex? No, no, no they're involuntary. involuntary. Right. So, incels, this is from Wikipedia, which means it must be true, are members of an <laughs> online subculture who define themselves as unable to find a romantic or sexual partner despite desiring one, a state they describe as inceldom. Self-identified incels are largely white and are almost exclusively male heterosexuals. Wow. The term is a portmanteau <laughs> of involuntary celibates. So it's interesting because there was an article about like the rise of this like subculture and its connection to um, men seeking plastic surgery. Um, really? Yes, because they feel like, well, I'm not able to f- attract a woman, so I've got to change something about myself in order to to get their attention. So I, I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean to like turn us into a whole no, other but this world, is but fascinating. Well, this is fascinating because historically it's been women who have right. done yeah. that yeah. thing. And now they've been hustling to yeah. prove that we're sexy and beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just one more argument to me that we're equal. <laughs> yeah. Well, um. and it's also a little bit like, you know, they still feel victimized in some way that they're not chosen when, like, <laughs> we should be able to choose whatever we want. So it, that's right. the only problem of, like, we get rejected all the time, but we don't, like, go ahead and make a subculture about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry. How does that even work when you get together? I don't know. Yeah, they just complain. I mean. It you, says discussions <laughs> often. mean, like, like the. Sorry. Like no, sorry, get Right, together, like, they like, get around this, and ha- like, are you having drinks and you're talking no, no, about it's, how. No, it's online mostly. It's like in, in well, Reddit groups and stuff. Well, that's probably why you're undesirable. <laughs> I mean, come on, Lisa. Get your life together. Get off the internet. Go actually, like, <laughs> Oh, and by the an way, when person. you show up in front of a woman, what do you sound like? I know. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. But to Ruthie's point, it says, <laughs> again, on Wikipedia, discussions often revolve around the belief that men are owed sex. Oh. And I guess that's really the issue is that, you know, like, they're like, Oh, I'm so sad because nobody wants me when they should. Because I I deserve to have that. But again, whole nother topic. Just it's interesting how this this attitude about like I guess women are starting to regard men very similarly to how men have often regarded women, which is you don't meet the bar of my required attractive levels, so I'm not going to deal with you, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm stuck in disbelief. I don't even. <laughs> yeah, we can we can go back. To, I mean, I I, to what about... I hear is mental. What I hear, mental dis. Mm, can I say dis- dysfunction? There's, some, yeah. there's something dysfunctional yes. in the mental process. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. yeah, but I wanted to go back to what you said, Ruthie, about um, this like rise of of uh, eating disorders and and body issues in Fiji, and I was thinking about how. Um, Humble brag, I've been to Fiji. (laughs) That's not the point of the story. But but I was surprised how, I guess, South Pacific women, they're just like, hey, this is me. I'm doing my thing. I don't care how small I am. I'm still going to go to the beach. I'm still going to enjoy myself. I'm still going to walk around in a short skirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And how as an American, I was just like, 
why doesn't she should cover that up? And why I don't understand. And yet, like these women seemed and the men, some of the men actually are, you know, pretty hefty, too. They're just like, oh, life is good. I'm not even I'm not even sweating that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's sad to hear how this idealized view of really how women should look primarily is, you know, moving to these cultures where they've actually been okay to just be who they are and enjoy Mm -hmm. life the way that they their Mm -hmm. ancestors did. Yeah. 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 I think that uh, we, being American, don't realize how much influence we do have over other cultures and other parts of the world and how they do, you know, look at us as examples of what, I mean, it, it, most other parts of the world were considered to be like wealthy and, and mm-hmm. you know, something to aspire to, which is why people are always trying to come here. And then they get here. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> the streets are not paved with gold. This is not what I was expecting. What? Um, but I think we take for granted our, I would kind of say social responsibility to like, because other cultures do look at what we're doing and how we're looking and, and how we're like portraying ourselves. And we do kind of set a bar in, in a way um, whether we admit that or not, but I think to to say that people in Fiji are looking at people in America and saying, I want to look like them, it's like, but why? And you're only seeing yeah. a small population of, like, the people who live in America and, like, what people actually look like in America. Because I feel like those people on Instagram, they're Photoshopped. Let's talk about that. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. I'm like, your wrist does not belong there. So clearly, <laughs> something happened in the digital process. Yeah. Um. So it's it's even a... It's an, it's an inaccurate picture that people are painting of what an ideal person looks like. Um, yeah. And even those people don't look that way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, unfortunately, like, and we have the luxury of being really self-conscious in the States. Like, we, mm. I mean, maybe inadvertently, we're pretty narcissistic, like, as a nation. Like, we just, we have more free time to care about how we look and like these cultures that like are basically like some like every human being has a role and you can't stray from the group or else like someone's kid is going to get lost like those those societies are like we don't have time to care about what we look like and that's kind of trying like, to survive yeah and, and then you have to depend on your innate biology to feed you which is like ultimately kind of what we're naturally supposed to do but yeah that's Oh, do you mind if I, that's interesting, Ruthie, because I was thinking about, um, as you were talking about um, the economy, mm-hmm. right? And so we live in a country where the economy is largely um, driven by um, office workers. Mm-hmm. And so that means that one, people are stationary or sedentary. It also means that they have time to scroll. Um, and that's very different than if you lived in some kind of agrarian society or a manufacturing society where one, you're going to be moving about. So typically you should be quote unquote healthier or at least more active. And then two, you don't have time to see what everybody else is doing because your work involves, you know, your constant efforts. Yeah. And so it's, I, I think that's, I wonder how much that's tied to the difference between like America kind of, you know, propelling yeah. this like, um, everything is beautiful mm-hmm. lie versus right. other people who are just like, I'm trying to survive out here. I right. don't have time to think about what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and we can think about Europe too. I mean, the flip side, I, I feel like we get it on both sides. We get like in certain cultures who look, who look up to 
Western culture look up to Americans as, you know, you must be rich. So, yeah, I want what you have. But then when I was in Europe, I felt like the Italian women were like, no, 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 their gyms are here, but we don't want anyone to know we work out. Um, Mm. And they eat for pleasure and they kind of center their culture around food and around working with their hands. But it's understood that we'll just walk. And it's understood that, you know, we're going to, in Spain, we're going to take, I'm going to take a nap. And it might be a short nap, but I'm going to go home and eat with my family. That's like tradition. That is our culture. Mm -hmm. And they didn't feel a need to make more money or to aspire to be American to interrupt that. They were very happy with who they were. And and I also felt like they felt, they got, I got a sense of like, um, yeah, a lot of Americans are fat. So mm-hmm. I don't understand that. <laughs> you know, we get on both sides. Like there's yeah. this aspiration potentially in other yeah. in some parts of the world, but in the other parts of the world is like, no, nah, I don't want to be like you guys. You you guys are, yeah. you know, fat yeah. and overworked and yeah, and when, we, when yeah. we sat down to have lunch Dinner. and we were, you know, typical Americans were like expecting the waiter <laughs> to come over and he's like, American, right? So you're like, hey, we got to hurry up and eat. He's yeah. like, somebody's going to come over to you. Like, he, <laughs> he, like we raised his <laughs> no anxiety way. level because we were in a hurry <laughs> to be serviced and we just sat down. Other parts of the world are not like that. Mm. And they immediately called us out. Yeah. No. It is pretty strange. I, that's why I feel like my people are over there. Like I, yeah. I'm in search of my people, but I believe that they're in Europe because <laughs> the idea of like taking your time, slow down, enjoy your food, be with people, have good wine, all of that. Just I feel like those are my people. Yeah. yeah. And that this like hurry up, we can't get it fast enough. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested. No. Yeah, it's just ultimately not like it doesn't it's not good. Doesn't, it doesn't feel, feel good. good. Yeah. Feel. Yeah, it's interesting. So before we wrap up, I do want to go back to this idea of, well, first of all, did we ever get to how you chose? And it's funny because we did an episode about like, um, what's the difference between vegan and plant-based? Yeah. And by definition, vegan was very restrictive, whereas like, this is what I'm not going to eat, whereas plant-based was like, here are all the things that I'm going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, So how is it that through your recovery from an eating disorder, you chose this quote unquote, restrictive way of eating. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, I just want to say that the, um, like the, the foundation behind your podcast and that like premise of choosing plant-based versus veganism is so on point with eating disorder recovery. Like you got it. it, I, I so believe in that and I stand behind that. So that's cool. And thank you guys. But, um, yeah, so I kind of always was, like, a weird, like, hippie-ish kid. Like, I always <laughs> liked the idea of veganism, and I, like, grew up in Southern California, and veganism was kind of just starting to take off over there. So I had some, oops, sorry, outside influences. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was I was into the environmental piece of it um, and kind of just rode on that. And honestly, it kind of just felt like an intuitive choice for me. Like, mm. toward the end of high school, I was just like, you know what? I've always kind of been doing this anyway. I don't really eat dairy. Um, I don't really care about eating meat. And it it didn't feel like a huge change from what I was doing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think another thing that I had to come to terms with is that no matter what I was eating, I would have to base my food choices on recovery versus like, like recovery had to trump veganism in mm, some way. So if, yeah. if I was like getting weird and getting restrictive or saying like, oh, well, I can, I can't have this much fat or like, oh, these people are saying that this type of veganism is the right way. I had to consciously stop myself and say, okay, you know what? Like 
no. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I don't, it, there needs to be no other rules other than I'm going to ethically choose to abstain from dairy and meat. And any other rules I'm making are going to be eating disorder rules, and I need to stop that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of like where my head was at. I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I don't think I know hardly any ethical vegans. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And the idea that you recognize, I need to have some priorities. Yeah. 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 Right? Like, I'm not going to take a diet and just make right. it super restrictive. I, what, what's my why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is something we talk about a lot. What's your why? Even if you're gonna if you're gonna go plant based, you're gonna go vegan. That's great. Don't do it because it's sexy. Please don't do it because it's trendy. Please don't yeah. do it because somebody on Instagram is doing it. Like, what's your why? Mm-hmm. Um, and and anchor to that really strongly because that's gonna be the thing that helps you to um, successfully negotiate the habit change of right. anything, and especially in the face of the factors that are gonna keep want to keep you right where you are, mm-hmm. right? And you you know this as being in recovery and a Applaudos. That's uh, that's Spanish. Applaudos. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Applaud to you. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even had wine. Usually when I have wine, all yeah. my languages come out. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I just forget the English word. I, sometimes it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's your first language. <laughs> there are times I can only remember the French or I can only remember the Spanish or the Italian. It's weird. But anyway, <laughs> sorry to get off track. Applaud. Applaud. <laughs> Applause. Yes. Applause. Yes. Applause to you. <laughs> Applause to you for, Thank for you. negotiating the change and also knowing yeah. your why and being clear on what you were really going to prioritize on. Yeah, um, if it meant, you know, doing something that was anti-vegan, I felt like you would you would you would do it with consciousness. Right. And right. That's really the important part that we advocate for too. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like I think it, it it it's a nice change from like feeling like your relationship with food has been marbled with so much like anxiety and uh and back and forth and fighting and war like you said it's a night it's nice to kind of live a life where your relationship with food is now sort of colored with like this cool ethical movement that you're part of but and maybe not like movement that's a weird word but you know just just going to a progressive like moving toward a progressive level um, is is a cooler way to live rather than feeling like you need to be skinny all the time. We have to ask you too, then how do you feel? How, how long have you been a vegan? I've been a vegan um, since my senior year of high school. So five years almost. Yeah. And how do you feel? <laughs> um, I feel, well, I feel very, I feel good. And I feel like I'm in a place where I love my body. Um, even if I don't speak to it very well all the time, I know that it's, way light years ahead of like where I was five years ago. Um, and I think more importantly, I love my body because I feed it in a way that makes it happy. And um, I don't have as much perfectionism in my food choices anymore. And I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us on social media at The Jealous Vegan on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or at thejealousvegan.com. And sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content to support your plant-based journey. And until then, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.